I am so thankful that all of you are here today as we begin a series I am as excited about as any maybe I have ever done. I want to welcome all of you that are watching around the world online. Now, I just need to say something quickly. If you're watching online, cameras can play a trick on you. So just so you'll know, this is not a pink shirt. This is what fashion designers call a manly melon. So just be sure that you have that clear. But I'm glad you're with us because I think these next eight weeks are going to be some of the most important weeks we've ever journeyed together. The great preacher Donald Gray Barnhouse one time wrote 20 Christian leaders. And he said, if you're on a desert island and you can only have with you one chapter of the Bible, what chapter would you choose? And five of them said, Romans chapter 8. And I think I would have given the same answer. Romans 8 is greatness. And what I mean by that is every great theme in the Bible is either explicitly or implicitly in Romans 8. Sin, judgment, law, the Holy Spirit, righteousness, death, resurrection, creation, transformation, prayer, hope, glory. And this is just some of what's in this incredible chapter. So I want you to engage in this study. In fact, uh, whether you're watching online or here in person, I want you to join me every week. We're going to create every week after the teaching a daily devotional. Just go to uh, the Hills website, go to slash creation, and you'll see five days a week, we're going to give you a device so that you can go back over the sermon so that you can look again at the scriptures and there'll be a little exercise for you to do because this is going to be one of the most important spiritual journeys we have ever taken as a church. And you know where we're going to wind up? We're going to wind up at one of the great mountain peaks of Scripture where Paul is going to say, nothing, not angels or demons, not height or depth, not even death can separate us from the love of God. But no separation is only a reality if no condemnation is a possibility. To appreciate Romans 8, you have to face the truth of Romans 7. And when you read Romans 7, you realize condemnation is a great problem. Condemnation is our reality. It's our norm. It's our prison, because that is how life under the law has to be. Now, I read an article recently about some of the newer apps they're creating for your smartphone. They have an app now that will let you know if you're chewing your food too fast. They have one that will let you know if you're driving too fast. Or hitting your brakes too hard. You can now have an app put on your phone that will help you know if you're slouching. Or if you forgot to floss. They call it digital nagging. (laughs) 
Smartphones are amazing. You don't need a camera. You don't need a calendar. And now you don't even need a wife because the phone will do it all for you. Okay, that was cheap. I take that back. But here's the reality. Do we really need more help to know that we don't measure up to our best intentions? We all know the tension of what we want to do in our heart and what we actually do in our flesh. We understand Paul in chapter 7, 14, and 15. We know that the law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. That verse convinces me that Paul was a golfer. Every golfer knows you don't do what you want to do, and what you want to do, you wind up not doing. I mean, Paul's metaphor for this is slavery. We live in a kind of bondage because we can't measure up to the person we want to be. And we know it. And we know we've got a day in court coming. And the evidence against us isn't circumstantial. It is unassailable. And it's admissible because the judge saw us do the crime. And Paul says, now the law's not the problem, it's spiritual. But, in a way, the law is the problem. Because the law can reveal my disobedience. It can't redeem it. The law can define transgression. But it can't deliver from it. The law condemns failure. That's what law does. Law doesn't reward obedience. You've never driven through a school zone. You see flashing lights. You pull over. You're confused. The officer walks up to your window. Officer, I wasn't speeding. No, ma'am, you weren't. I've got my seatbelt on. Yes, ma'am, you do. Uh, My registration and my insurance is current. Yes, I can see that it is. Why did you pull me over? Just to say thank you. Just to say thank you for being such an obedient driver. This never happens. That's not what law does. Law exists to condemn violators. And we're all condemned under law. And it's prison. And deep down we want out of prison. And so typically we respond with a whole lot of coulda, shoulda, woulda, and tomorrow I'm going to do better. And tomorrow just brings more evidence that we have a bent toward bondage. So we understand. Paul says, verse 24, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The law can only condemn. 
It's Jesus who can liberate. And we want to believe this because we want to be delivered from this spirit of condemnation. You see, freedom is a great promise. And we want to claim it. We want to believe that we don't have to be afraid of that day in court. And so we resonate with words like, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And I know while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Nobody can make me leave the presence of God because of Jesus. We want to believe in that kind of freedom. We name it. But my experience is most Christians don't claim it. If you really look at how most Christians live, you would think that what we really believe is what I call yo-yo grace. Where God says, oh, now you're saved. Oh, now you're not. Oh, now you're saved. Now you're not. And you talk to Christians who feel like they are constantly in and out of being saved. Under a spirit of condemnation, I knew a man who was baptized seven different times. Why? Condemnation. He couldn't ever believe his freedom was real. Now, if I understand Romans 8, you don't need to get saved over and over again. Now, we're going to read just the first four verses this morning, and I want you to look at just the first phrase. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everything in the gospel, everything about the life the gospel is offering has to start right here. That in Jesus, there is complete and total, eternal freedom from condemnation. And I think we have a hard time believing that. I think a lot of us read that verse and what we mentally think is, in Christ there's not much condemnation. In Christ there's not constant condemnation. In Christ there's not condemnation for the really good Christians. He says in Christ there is no condemnation. So I looked up the word no in the Greek and it means no I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say, no means no. Now, that doesn't mean that in Christ you can't come under the discipline of God because he loves you like a father loves a child. So correction is possible, but condemnation is impossible if you are in Christ Jesus. So why do we have trouble believing this? Well, our thinking's messed up. So I'm going to give you some liberating thinking this morning. Let's just start verse 4 or verse 1 through 4. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit 
who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, there are two words there that make the total difference. If you'll just believe them. I'm going to read some of those words again and see if you can figure out what those two words are. Now, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, God did. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Here's the first thing you've got to know. And you've got to believe this. It is a God, not me, freedom. Paul did not say, what will free me? He said, who will free me? If we could free ourselves by just getting a better what? then we don't need good news, we just need good advice. But Jesus didn't come to be your therapist. He came to be your Savior. And what man can will but not do, God can both will and do in Jesus Christ. And this makes Christianity fundamentally Different than every other world faith. Now you've heard me say this before and you're going to hear me say it again. The person who says all religions are basically the same has not studied all religions. Because the basic question of religion is how can I be saved? And Christianity gives an answer that is completely different than any other religion. In Buddhism, you save yourself by detaching yourself from all desire. In Hinduism... You save yourself by uh, removing the ego and living in harmony with the divine. What does that mean? I don't know. Honestly, I don't think most Hindus know. In the Muslim faith, you save yourself by keeping the pillars of Islam. In the Jewish faith, you save yourself by keeping the commandments and being a good person. In New Age spirituality, you save yourself. By living in harmony with the divine oneness. What does that mean? I don't know. They don't know. But they'll sell you a crystal. Here's the point. In every single religion, you save yourself. They're all simply different branches out of the bow of the same trunk of self-righteous attainment. Not Christianity. Paul says clearly that God in Christ stepped into the arena of time. He stepped into space in a physical form. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And then he met 
all the righteous requirements of the law that we want to meet and can't do. And then he went to a cross. And he took all the just condemnation that we deserve upon himself and credited his perfect righteousness to us. And the result of his obedience is deliverance. Paul said earlier in chapter 3, everyone has sinned and is far away from God's saving presence. But by the free gift of God's grace, all are put right with him through Christ Jesus who sets them free. Who did it? God did it. This is not... And I know some of you have heard different in the past. You've even seen tracks that said different in the past. But they're wrong. This is not a God's part, man's part, freedom plan. Because if anything about salvation depends on you, then the possibility of condemnation still exists. The gospel is not Offering you advice on how to improve your grades. It is offering Jesus as your report card. He's not contributing to your freedom. He's paying for it. And so it says, so in Christ, as God's sin offering, it says, God condemned sin In the flesh. In his flesh. Same word as verse 1. There's no condemnation. Why? Because in Christ God's condemned condemnation. God has condemned the very thing that would have condemned you. And so when Satan tempts me to despair. And tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look. And see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Now, I'm assuming right now you're clapping in your hearts because I'm not hearing it with your hands. I'm just assuming you're clapping in your hearts. Do you see how great is the love and the mercy and the wisdom of God to offer freedom this way? A freedom that should always be realized and never relinquished, but we do. We believe we've been justified and then soon after we come into Christ, we go back into bondage because we don't understand something else Paul just said. It is the spirit, not the law, freedom. We're so accustomed to living under law that we think that what we could never get free by doing, maybe we can stay free by doing. So we accept grace for justification. But we're going to try grit for sanctification. We're going to add a whole bunch of woulda, shoulda, coulda, and tomorrow I'm going to do better. 
There was this man some years ago in Saskatchewan, Canada, named Wayne Carlson, 18 years old, sent to prison for one year for stealing a car. Well, he didn't want to be in prison for a year, so he broke out. And they caught him. They sent him back for more time. He broke out again. He has set the North American record of 13 prison breaks. The problem is he's now spent over 30 years in prison. And I want to say to Wayne, how's this plan for freedom working for you, son? Anything that keeps sending you back to prison is not a good life plan. But we do it. We get delivered from law. We get brought into Christ. And then we see how fast we can run back to law as a way to live. Paul's exasperated. He asked the Galatians chapter 3. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? By flesh, he doesn't mean deep, grody sin. He means self-righteous effort. Are you trying in your own human effort and strength to live up to law after you got delivered from that? Preacher, are you saying that sin doesn't matter after I get saved? No, I'm not saying that, but I'm glad you thought that. That means I'm preaching the gospel. When you preach the gospel the way it's supposed to get preached, people are going to wonder, is he saying that sin doesn't matter? In chapter 1 through 5 of Romans, Paul just hammers and hammers. We're saved by grace through faith. And the very next question, chapter 6, well, does this mean we can just sin all we want so grace will abound? That's what you're going to think when you hear the gospel preached the way it ought to be preached. But no, Paul says, the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us, not by living according to the flesh, but by living according to the Spirit. For in Christ, he says, a righteousness is imputed to us at the cross. His righteousness was put in our account. But not only is righteousness imputed, but we're going to see, and we're going to develop this more next week. You've got to come back next week. Righteousness is not just imputed, but it is imparted to us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. God says, I'm going to send my spirit to write my law on your heart. Because this is a much better way to do life than the way you're trying to do it. Because when you start to live in union and in obedience and in the leading of the Holy Spirit, who's going to point you to Christ and produce the fruit of love. And by the way, when you love God and you love people... What are you doing? You're keeping the law. Paul says, when you learn to live in unity and in obedience to the Holy Spirit, you're going to have that life you tried so hard and failed to have under law. Because all of you that are in love know this. Love will produce a joyful and willing submission that law will never produce. See, it's not just freedom from death. 
It's freedom for life. For the life we want to have. And Paul says it's now, not later, freedom. He says there is now no condemnation. This is not a future possibility. This is a present reality. Your condemnation has already been condemned. And you are free. And you don't feel like it. Because your accuser is going to do everything he can to get you not to believe this teaching. And so you're taking a jog or you're in the shower or you're at work. And it comes back. The haunting memory of something you said, something you did, that time in your life that you would give anything to go back and rewrite. And suddenly you feel it all over again. Condemnation. Now, why does he do that? Satan cannot steal your salvation, it is securing Christ. What he's trying to rob is your joy of salvation. Because think about it. How can you be an effective witness for Jesus if you feel condemned all the time? Are you going to be bold in your prayer life? Are you going to share your faith with people? Are you going to be diligent in pursuing holiness? Are you going to feel the assurance of glory? Paul is saying, don't you let the enemy convince you you still own something that Jesus has taken away. Now, he's going to try this week. At some point this week, the enemy is going to try to overwhelm you with the spirit of condemnation. But you're prepared and you're going to say, devil, I heard a good sermon last Sunday. And no means no. And you're thinking, well, preacher, it sounds like you're saying I can be sure of my salvation. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is is hid with Christ on high, my Savior and my God. Or as Paul put it, by the blood of Christ, we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God. It's got to start here, folks. Now, we've got an incredible journey. We're going to go through some of the most glorious doctrines of all Scripture the next eight weeks. But it's got to start here. That we embrace the freedom purchased for us by Christ. No condemnation is a great foundation. Once you realize the impossibility of condemnation, think about it. You're not going to give up the pursuit of holiness. You're going to stumble. We all do. And when you stumble and Satan says, see, you're not a real Christian. You messed up. You're going to say, oh, no, I'm a real Christian because when I mess up, I claim my freedom in Christ and I get up and I keep going in his direction. 
When you understand that there's no condemnation, you're not going to interpret trials as punishment. We do this. We're going to see in Romans 8 that life is hard and we groan. And when you're under the spirit of condemnation and life gets hard, your first thought is God's punishing me. God's getting back at me for what I did. But when you embrace your freedom in Christ, you don't think that way. And you groan and you take it to God. Because see, see, when you believe there's no condemnation, you can talk to God about anything. And when it comes time for that last lap, and it's coming for all of us, you're not going to run afraid. You're going to finish strong. Because not angels or demons, not height, no wit, not even death can separate me from the love of God. And so I've always liked the story of the salesman out in the Midwest. He's lost Needs some help with directions. He sees a guy in a tractor and pulls over and hollers at him. Hey, buddy, if I stay on this road, will I get to Kansas City? And the farmer says, I don't know. Well, will it get me to St. Louis? I don't know. Well, what big town will I come to if I stay on this road? And the farmer says, I don't know. Frustrated, the salesman says, you don't know much, do you? Farmer says, I know I ain't lost. (laughs) And when you finally... Embrace the implications of the gospel. You find the life you've always wanted. And that is greatness. Now, I want you to bow your heads. I want you to do something for me. I want you right now to identify that part of your life or your past that brings you the most sense of condemnation. What is it? I want, to see, I want you to mentally picture yourself. I'm taking that part of my life and I'm taking it to the cross and I am leaving it there because no means no and I'm not carrying that around anymore. I am not living anymore under that spirit of condemnation over that. God, give us the courage to believe the gospel. Give us the boldness to tell the enemy that no means no. Because we are in Christ. And in Christ, all things are yes. And in his name, we pray. Amen. Please stand up. I'm going to ask if you're on our prayer response team to take your place. And as we sing this next song, some of you are going to want to come and process what I've preached and ask for prayer. But I need to say something now that's very, very strong. You need to hear it. Everything I just said is worthless to you if you're not in Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, you don't just need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe into Jesus. This is why baptism is such a powerful Christian act. Paul says in Romans 6, you're baptized into the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You need to step into the gospel.
Not just keep your distance and say that's a great story. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And this is the moment for some of you to step into Christ. Please come, always sing.